Hey, and welcome to episode 71 of the Emotional Eating Therapist Show. In this episode, we are talking about all of the diet crap that you've been seeing for the past week that's really ramping up now that we've hit New Year's. This is kind of a precursor to some of next week's episodes where I have a special surprise for you, but we're going to talk all about goal setting next week. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Emotional Eating Therapist Show. I'm your host, Sabrina Rogers, licensed mental health counselor, intuitive eating and body image expert, and recovering perfectionist. After healing my own disordered eating and body image issues, I'm helping women let go the guilt and shame around eating, feel at peace around food, and befriend the image they see in the mirror. In this podcast, we chat about all things food, body, and mental health so that you can stop dieting, let go of perfectionism, and finally feel confident in all areas of your life. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Sabrina Rogers LMHC. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. This helps other women find and learn about the podcast so they too can change their relationship with food and body. Let's get ready to stay off the diet roller coaster and live healthily ever after. Hey, and welcome back to the show and welcome to 2023. If you're listening to this podcast, you likely have decided not to set a resolution or goal to diet this year. But the ah, that diet industry, it is a tricky, tricky bugger. And it's going to try and sell you the non-diet approach while giving you the same old diet BS. In this episode, we're talking about the three things all diets have in common, how to spot a wolf in sheep's clothing, and the non-diet approach, and how I use this in my coaching and counseling work. This may be a newer concept for some of you, so I want to clear up any confusion that you may have. Then you get to decide if this fits where you are and what you need. If it does, and you want to know more about working with me, I'd love to chat. In the show notes, I've included a link to my calendar where you can schedule a time for us to video chat about how I can help you end your struggle with emotional eating. Now, before we dive in to what the non-diet approach is, I wanted to share some information on diets. We all know about diets. We do. They've been around forever. Most of us have probably been on a foo or a lot. A 2019 survey from, in Britain of 2,000 people found that the average person will try at least two diets per year and 126 diets over the course of their lifetime. That two diets per year, 126 over your life. Many of these attempts don't last longer than six months, with most attempts lasting not more than a week. All of these attempts lead to a 95% failure rate. Now, in the past, you might have thought you were the one failing at the diet. With a 95% failure rate, the ownership of that doesn't fall on you. You did not fail the diets. No, 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 no. Diets have been failing you. You, my friend, are not going to be part of that statistic any longer. I know this because you are listening to this show and you want something different for yourself. 
I also know diets can be tricky and sneaky, so I want to give you more information on what to look for. Diet culture is an upwards of $78 billion a year industry. Can't even fathom that number. But it wasn't always like that. It wasn't until the Victorian era that diets and intentional weight loss became a thing. It was in the 1800s that people started to intentionally lose weight. Now, some will say it was in an effort to improve their appearance and their health. But if that's true, why was there a sudden change in how we view appearances and health? It's because of racism. Now, I'm not going to delve too deep into this topic today, but here's a little preview. Sabrina Strings, great name, by the way, a sociologist and professor at the University of California, Irvine, says this about the racist roots of diet culture. By the middle of the 18th century, because of the fact that the main mechanism for separating free from slave, which had been skin color, was no longer an effective sorting mechanism, they started to identify new traits of inferior and superior, superior people. Their conclusion, she explains, was that inferior races have no self-control because of how interested they are in sex and food. This was really the beginning of linking what was considered an unruly type of fatness to blackness. When scientists in the late 1900s tried to come up with a reason for the health disparities between white people, black people, and Latin people, Strings explains they concluded that it was the result of cultural deficits, like unhealthy diets and a lack of self-control, within those racial ethnic minority groups. The conclusion is wrong. Science has proven that black people, on average, tend to be heavier than white people, not due to anything related to culture, but rather body composition and bone density. In fact, Research presented at the Endocrine Society's 91st annual meeting in 2009 concluded that body fat is likely to be lower in black individuals compared to white individuals of the same height and weight. Another 2012 study published in the Journal of Obesity concluded the same thing. However, instead of using this information to inform medical practices and treatments, Many researchers have used it to justify the racist beliefs they've held all along, that black people will always be fat and unhealthy no matter what. When it was discovered in reality, black people often tend to be heavier than white people. It was an easy way for doctors to wash their hands of any type of culpability or responsibility for the negative health outcomes of black people. Once researchers realized that black people were typically heavier, Sabrina says, they started to blame a myriad of health issues within the black community on weight instead of ordering tests, doing thorough examinations and looking deeper into the root causes of things. This also got broadened from black people to all people in bigger bodies. Patients with bigger bodies are often dismissed by professionals and told, you just need to lose weight or are told all of their symptoms or complaints are related to the size of their body. I want to add that black people are still dismissed at a higher rate than whites in similar sized bodies. As the years progressed, the ideal body size has changed drastically, but the one thing that has stayed the same is the idea that fat bodies are not okay and should be feared and avoided, which has led to countless diets popping up and shape shifting. 
This is something I want to talk more about so you can identify a diet when it tries to disguise itself because it's going to do that. Because diet culture has realized that we are not interested in dieting, but they don't want to give up all that money and power that they have. So now it's all about lifestyle changes. Now, the keto diet has changed its name and has been marketed as different diets, but the bottom line is restricting your carbohydrate intake. The low-fat diet has been called all sorts of things, and at the base is limiting your fat intake. All diets have some things in common, a restriction or counting of calories or macros, a restriction or a limiting of whole food groups or specific foods, and reinforcing the belief that thin is best and you are not worthy unless you have a certain body or are working to achieve that body. In recent years, there has been a shift away from diets because people are realizing that diets don't work long term. At a 95% failure rate, we can't not notice that. In order to remain a $78 plus billion industry, Diets have to get crafty. So we've seen lifestyle changes popping up all over. We've seen a focus on health and wellness, meaning we're trying to improve our health by intentionally losing weight. Newsflash, losing weight doesn't equal an improvement in our health. We've seen Weight Watchers shift to Wellness That Works or WW. We've seen celebrity celebrities co-opting intuitive eating, and we've seen programs coming out with the psychological way to lose weight. Remembering the three things all diets have in common, let's look at these shifts. Lifestyle change. What does that even mean? Well, it's diet culture's way of tricking you into thinking it's not a diet. But looking closer, most lifestyle changes involve restricting or limiting whole food groups or at least certain foods. Think carbs, sugar, those things that have been demonized. They usually always focus on some type of exercise as a way to burn calories or burn fat. Diet commonality number one, restricting or counting calories or macros. Some lifestyle changes include logging meals and snacks into an app, while others brag about not counting calories. However, when we get to diet commonality two, restricting foods, that usually leads to a restriction of calories. A popular phrase amongst lifestyle changers is everything in moderation. The term moderation means we're restricting or limiting rather than relying on our innate body wisdom to guide us. Diet commonality number two, as I mentioned, is limiting or restricting certain foods. Lifestyle change implies what you are doing is wrong and must be changed, which which often leads to you restricting or limiting certain foods or food groups that you view as bad. Diet commonality number three, reinforcing the belief that you are not good enough unless you are thin or at least working towards a thinner body. And like I just said, Lifestyle change implies what you're doing is wrong and must be changed, and therefore you are wrong. Now let's look at the three diet commonalities in other non-diet diets. 
a focus on health and wellness implies if we consume too many calories, we are not healthy. Which, diet commonality number one. It implies we are healthy versus unhealthy foods, and we need to eat the healthy ones. Diet commonality number two. And it places the blame on anyone who either doesn't engage in these healthy behaviors because they don't care about their health, or doesn't try hard enough to be healthy when these behaviors don't produce the gold standard of health. Diet number three. Now I'm going to lump Weight Watchers, Wellness That Works, whatever they're going by today, Noom, and other programs like this into one. The biggest problem here is diet commonality number three. Intentional weight loss reinforces the belief that thin is best. Commonality number one, all programs like this focus on eating less and exercising more, thus a focus on restricting or limiting calories. And we should know by now that that doesn't work. Commonality number two, these programs, similar to lifestyle changes, promote moderation, which again, is just a fancy way of saying restriction. So what sets my work as a coach and a counselor apart from others? What is this non-diet, health-at-every-size approach in counseling, counseling and coaching? Our time together will help you shift your thoughts and beliefs, coming to a place of acceptance and no longer feeling not good enough. This is so important because even if you stop dieting, the marketing is so refined that unless we address the not good enough voice, we'll constantly be drawn back in. Shifting your thoughts and beliefs is also what clearly differentiates my work from all the others. And this isn't some mamby-pamby mindset shift. No, no, no. This is a real deal. This is learning how to be aware of your thoughts and emotions as separate from yourself changing your thoughts and beliefs to change your behavior long-term. Most programs and coaches focus on the behavior side of things. I focus on the thoughts and the emotions and the feeling side, which is where lasting change occurs and why all the other things haven't worked for you. There's a huge difference between drinking 64 ounces of water because you read somewhere that that's what you're supposed to do trying to add in more water and eventually stopping and drinking water to nourish your body because you respect your body is very different. The first example is you listening to someone else who doesn't know your body like you do. It's also very rigid and exactly the same all the time. Whereas listening to your body and having the belief that you drink water because it nourishes your body leads to drinking an amount of water that fits your needs at that moment. Shifting our thoughts shifts our perspective and leads to different behaviors. If you want to hear more on this, have a listen to episode two, how our thoughts and emotions affect our eating. Our work together will never focus on intentional weight loss. I get it. It makes complete sense to me as to why you want to lose weight. With all of the messaging in society and diet culture that thin is best, it's natural that you feel at odds with your body when it doesn't fit what you're told is ideal. First steps to this work include helping you understand you don't need to diet. You don't need to lose weight to feel better. 
so often our physical and mental complaints are said to be occurring because of our weight. And that's utter BS. If weight were the villain, everyone in larger bodies would be experiencing the same things. But they're not. And people with smaller bodies have the same physical and mental complaints, but it's never said to be related to their weight. Our work together will help you identify those diets that are a wolf in sheep's clothing. Diets are hiding everywhere. And as we make more shifts to non-diet approaches, they still, they will have to keep up or lose out on all that money. I want you to continue to be aware of this so you don't get sucked back into the diet black hole and lose even more of yourself and your money. When we work on emotional eating, we will specifically dismantle diet culture. Shift your perspective on emotional eating, help you identify and implement other coping tools, and give you a jumpstart to your mindful, intuitive eating journey. If you've been in my circle for a while, you know I don't think emotional eating is a bad thing or something we should stay away from. And if you're newer to the show, this may come as a surprise to you. Even if you've heard me say it somewhere in the last 70-some episodes, it can be a while before you begin to believe it, which is why when we work together, I'll help you examine this from all angles until you can wrap your pretty little head around it. Eating to cope works. It's effective. And anytime we only have one tool, we're screwed. So our work in the emotional eating revolution will help you identify other tools you can add to your coping toolbox. You'll also have plenty of time to practice these use, practice using these tools, during which you will likely find that there are some tools that work better than others in any given situation. The nice thing about having a toolbox with lots of tools is you have lots of options to choose from. Key being choice. You are in charge here. You get to choose which tools work best for you and which you don't want to use. Working to end your struggle with emotional eating also gives you a jumpstart on your mindful, intuitive eating journey, which is your key to never dieting again. Over the last six years, I've found we cannot fully embrace intuitive eating without first addressing our emotional eating, which is why I address it in my program, The Emotional Eating Revolution. Now it is that time... But before we say farewell, let's do a little recap. I believe everything starts with a thought. And to change our behaviors, those things we see on the outside, we need to change our thoughts and thought patterns. This means becoming aware of them. And my job as your fairy godmother is to help you notice these thoughts and see how they're affecting you. This is your key to having the life you want. In an effort to help you begin to explore your thoughts and beliefs about weight and dieting, I gave a brief history of diets, the racist roots of diet culture, and I shared the three things all diets have in common. A restriction or counting of calories or macros, restriction or limiting of food groups or specific foods, reinforcing the belief that thin is best and you are not worthy unless you have a certain body or are working to achieve that body. The second part of this episode discussed what a non-diet health at every size approach in counseling and coaching might look like, sharing some of the focal points of the Emotional Eating Revolution program, which opens for enrollment soon. So stay tuned if you want more information on that. I hope this episode helps you shift 
or at least begin to shift your perspective on diets, seeing them as the villain, not your weight. I also hope it gives you a look into what working together might look like and get your brain thinking about if this is something that you want to invest in for yourself. That's it for day today, friend. Next week, I am coming to you with a new episode every day, Monday through Friday, and I'm going to really focus on setting goals the right way. So I hope you'll stay tuned. I've got so much coming for you next week and in coming episodes. And as always, remember, if you have a question, if you have a topic that you want me to answer, please send me an email, info at sabrinarogers.com. I will answer it on air. You can be anonymous, doesn't matter. Or if you have other guests, people that you've heard on other podcasts that you really enjoy, let me know those people too so I can invite them onto this show and continue to share their message. Until next week, friend, I wish you well.